Hello, and welcome to Elevate Best Bits, a recap of our quarterly Elevate event. I'm Martin Saps, Content Strategy Manager here at Outlier, where I work across our channels to make and curate content to inform and inspire the Web3 community. If you missed Elevate, I'll give you a quick rundown. Elevate is a quarterly event designed to highlight Outlier's thought leadership and vision for the future of Web3. This quarter, we focus on how AI and Web3 are shaping the future of the web. Through talks with Outlier staff, presentations from our teams, or discussions with industry leaders from the likes of Ready Player Me, Fragnova, and the Metaverse Institute, we're hoping to give you a better understanding of the current state of Web3 and our vision for its direction. Keep listening for my pick of top quotes from our exhilarating talks. My name is Martin, Content Strategy Manager here at Outlier Ventures. And the broader scope of my role here is to plan and amplify the voice of Outlier across all of our channels. In essence, I would say that my job is to answer the question of how can Outlier, as the most active Web3 accelerator and the most active Web3 investor, inform, inspire, and empower the Web3 community and the Web3 curious? And I think that that's really getting at the crux of why we're here today at Elevate. Through the panels that we've already seen, the cohort teasers, we are trying to give a window into Outlier Ventures' vision for the wider Web3 space. You know, whether, again, through those conversations we're elevating, the teams, we're working to open source and share our worldview on Web3 and 23. You've already heard from Jamie and Timu Toke on building Web3 products that users love. You've seen the key themes and teams across our four cohorts. And this panel is meant to tie it all together. We're trying to ask how the technology is developing through Web3 and AI that you've already seen will affect the creator landscape of the future. So without further ado, let me hand it over to our panelists. Giovanni, if you want to give a quick introduction, and then we can go around and circle from Giovanni to Christina to Jessica. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Giovanni, CEO of Procolo and Fragnova, basically. My background is, is engineering. I've been writing software for my whole life. Relevant experience is the fact that 20 years ago, I was building lots of content in Second Life. And that kind of drove my will to learn how game engine worked. And I ended up in Japan building game engines for most major companies in there. I was part of Silco Studio, which is owned by Sony, Square Enix, and they built middleware. This drove me a lot into experimentation where I ended up joining the Ethereum 2 team to build one of the Beacon Nodes clients. I think it's called like that now. And fast forward, I met Jamie. I'm very grateful to Outlier. And I basically jumped to being a founder of this actual endeavor, which, which that's why I mentioned Second Life, because I started everything 20 years ago and fast forward propelled to Fragcolor and building Fragnova, which is the, we call it creation operative system. So basically we're building the foundation and the engine for new media, new games, and our new generations will produce content in the future. Thank you for that, Giovanni. And uh, Christina? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Christina Yanjong, CEO of the Metaverse Institute. So I also started a little bit early in 2006, and I was doing my master dissertation using Second Life, the world's first Metaverse platform to develop international strategies for universities worldwide. And I'm very lucky to got a full scholarship to continue my research using digital twin in the Metaverse environment to augment the AEC industry. So I completed in 2012, and then helping governments, universities, and business worldwide to develop innovation policies 
So I was sitting on many different intergovernmental committees with UNESCO, World Bank, Commonwealth, how we can really design the future of the economy. And uh, I recently been appointed as the vice chairman for the United Nations International Telecommunication Union Working Group on Metaverse with a special focus on sustainability, inclusion, and accessibility. So very looking forward to working with all of you. Thank you. All right, all right. Jessica Berger, VP of Innovation for Purpose Media. Purpose Media is a global media agency. So we basically work with lots of brands, consumer brands, new brands, on bringing new marketing activations to life, right? And my division primarily focused on those new technologies, the new up-and-coming technologies that are not quite mainstream yet. So we focus a lot on gaming, on the Web3 and the metaverse technology, so AR, VR and AI, and lots of other just new interesting ways of, of bringing interesting concepts to life. I do share, I believe, a passion for just virtual spaces and immersive thinking, right? The concept of just coming together in 3D spaces. So that's what led me to my position. And I'm hoping actually I'm going to learn a lot from the other panelists here because that sounds really interesting. (laughs) Great. Lovely. Thanks, Jessica. So why don't we get into the questions, perhaps starting from kind of a, a one that really introduces the concept of AI and the implications for creators. So we're seeing AI and Web3 change the way that we consume and produce media in general. but Just in a simple way, let's get into the opportunities and challenges that they present for creators and consumers of content. Maybe a good place to start is with Giovanni. You are building the, quote, infrastructure for creators. Can you tell us a little bit about the opportunities and challenges that generative AI can pose and bring for creators and how you're helping to create that infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, what we're building for Nova, you know, we started before this boom of generative AI came out. But the funny part is that it was just perfect, perfect, perfect timing. I believe that the whole thing starts with lots of content creation, curation. I'm a firm believer of user-generated content, for example. And, you know, Gen AI and so on basically will drive user-generated content, will drive the next bull run. And so I believe that this all, the opportunities are pretty much huge. But you also mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, WebTree. So it's something that we cannot really, it's still very relevant. And I think that in that case, probably decentralization and ownership is still very relevant. And if you think about it with AI, the biggest, this was a huge topic, basically the biggest threat, you know, was this all of IP privacy and so on and so on. So I'm a strong believer that Web3 can definitely solve this kind of thing. So this is what basically with Fragrow everything made sense. So IP and copyright and so on. And Jessica, a big part of your job uh, working with large brands is innovating and spotting trends. What are you kind of seeing develop in the creative landscape? Yeah, there's a lot of trends <laughs> and some will hopefully come true. Others may not so much. For me, there was a, a two path that I'm looking at. One is the creator lens. So the everyday person, every one of us and everyone who's professionally involved in creating content or, you know, wants to be able to do that in whatever format. I think there's lots of interesting ways where we're seeing, obviously, the chat GPTs of the world and the runways and dailies of the world, obviously, offering this access, this immense amount of just access to new tools and figuring out, hey, how can I make the thing that I want to work better and more efficient so I don't have to focus on the details. I can just templatize something or figure out easier how to create something and then just use it and focus on the actual important parts of the things that I want to figure out. 
the other side of the coin is always the brands, right? Like how can they actually either internally or externally facing implement these tools and these new ways of thinking of how either be more productive or just create something that invites other users in to co-create something. So there's a lot of ways um, we're seeing currently just the way of content creation change, the entire landscape of who has access to the amount of information that can actually be created, shared, and then what do you actually do with that, right? That's the more important question. Are you just creating something for the sake of creating or are you actually able to do something with it? So I'd say that's what we need When you work with a lot of these brands, you consult them on their innovation strategy, but what kind of questions do you typically get from innovations departments? Because I guess there's there's really two sides of this, as you said. There's the there's the bottom up and there's a bit of like the top down, right? Yeah. So what kind of questions are a lot of these brands asking? What kind of trends are they trying to tap into? Yeah, I mean, for right now, I think as with any trend, they want to understand what it is. Hey, what is what are you seeing? That's the general question. But looking a little bit deeper, it's mostly, okay, what are all the other brands doing that would set them apart, right? Everyone wants to be ahead of the game. And what I like to drill that conversation down to is more a conversation around how can you figure out what your competitive advantage is. So the question is, would then be, okay, what are the tools? Who are the big players in that space that can enable me to do something better or different? So may it be the tech platforms or any new features that they can integrate into something that's already there or build on top of, right? So there's lots of ways to hopefully have a conversation and ask the questions around where are you today? What do you need to do and implement within the next three to five years in order to stay ahead and have that competitive advantage also stay on top in the next five years? So just making sure they understand like, from obviously the safety rules or the questions that we have in that regard as well, how to effectively use these kind of tools, who are the players, because not every tool that's out there needs to be implemented, but it's good to be aware and then figure out, okay, which ones, what are the steps that are actually important to that particular brand? And Giovanni, I'm sure you're thinking a lot about this as well in terms of, you know, you're creating the infrastructure for creators to, in essence, create, but also you're constantly likely talking to users about what they need talking to potential clients, potential customers, what clients do you see being most interested in in your technology, whether now or as the technology evolves, how will that shift? Well, I think we took a very interesting angle, I would say. Most of projects in this metaverse slash, you know, gaming and so on, try to talk with many very big game studios, try to change their minds on how things are made and how things are done. Instead, what we actually decided to aim because at the end of the day we are a small startup we're not a huge startup that can target everybody we have to pick one the clients so first of all are small creators so think i think look at look at streamers look at youtubers look at you know even instagram creators or content creators which is also ugc most of these people are alone in a room in many instances and so it's not like as big game studios so targeting these was natural because the way we are building the things we're building is to allow them to achieve ease of creation. And most of all these people, all they look is making a living out of what they do and, and passionate about. For us, this is mainly the, the target. And indeed, what they are more interested, I know that you asked me about technology, but actually what they're more interested in is making a living out of it. So so how do we build the technology to allow them to do that Was the re- is the real question for us. So basically, the solution is revolutioning the way games in our instance and in our case are created. AI obviously allowed us to propel. We are using it for mainly right now for coding, so scripting and, you know, generating, allowing people that never coded before to actually fill a huge page of actual code that actually is functional and in our engine runs. 
scripts that allow to create, you know, all sorts of amazing things. It's quite a site. And these people are the number one users. And we're building what the tool for the next generation. We're not building a tool for the current generation. So that's why also this is very important actually to, to consider. So to remark the answer to your question is I think that the most interesting thing that uh, apart from technology is actually making a living and how do we build the technology to allow them that is the, the key. Right. And maybe that's a good opportunity for you to come in, Christina. So speaking about infrastructure and the way in which a lot of these technologies are changing the way that things are created, and things are developed, you did a PhD in digital twins, particularly in the metaverse. So I just wanted to know a little bit about how you think a lot of these technologies that have just been talking about by Jessica, by Giovanni, what opportunities might they bring for visualizing real world spaces in virtual space? How might a lot of these technologies, particularly generative AI, kind of change the way that we understand the way that we consume content? It's a really interesting question you're talking about. I can give you a real world example, which is called Digital Earth. And uh, it was created by the European Commission by about 300 million euros. So they use large scales of digital twin to simulate how climate change in different parts of the world is going to be mitigated based on real world data. So that's actually having a significant impact to help decision makers, scientists, and also civil engagement to allow citizens to get involved and contribute towards climate change on a daily basis, which is quite exciting. And uh, the visualization they are doing is much larger than the traditional built environments we are familiar with. And of course, there are a lot of examples of using metaverse and digital twins to do smart city development. A typical example is taking place in Saudi Arabia. There is a project called NEO. Many of you probably have heard so the government is spending about several hundred billion U.S. dollars to create the future city. And they are currently building about 18 different metaverse. So they get the Neon project in the metaverse with its digital replica to do all the different scenarios for testing, traffic control, pollution control, environment design, and also public engagement. Get everything or test it out in the metaverse in the digital twin model, and then they start to construct it, find the most optimized, the most cost-effective business model moving forward. So that's quite significant. And of course, there are examples in Dubai, in Seoul, in South Korea, in Guangzhou, the knowledge city, and in many other places. So I think the technology is already quite mature. But the issue is previously, it requires a very significant amount of investment. But with generative AI, what we start to see is you can actually, using text to generate digital models instantly. That's still early stage of the application. But I think very quickly, we're going to have text to digital twin of any kind of models you want to build. So that will be quite significant. And how do you think that governments and, and larger institutions are adapting to a lot of these technologies? You know, just like I asked Jessica, what questions she's getting from a lot of innovation departments. You know, I'd like to know from you, what kind of questions do larger institutions that you consult with ask about? What kind of things are they interested in, curious about? I think the biggest issues the government is uh, worried about at this moment is intellectual property rights and online safety. So I was at a meeting with Interpol 
a few days ago, and we're talking about how we can set up a regulatory framework internationally to ensure online safety of metaverse and Web3 moving forward. So one of the questions we discussed is the dark web and the deep web versus the clean web. Because everyone knows the metaverse is considered as the next generation of the internet, which is more immersive, interactive, and intuitive. And a lot of discussion we are talking about now on metaverse is mainly focusing on the 5% of the internet, which is indexed. So it can be searched within Google, Bing, and other search engines, while there are another 95% of the internet which is not indexed and is not really accessible to the general public on a daily basis. They are called deep web. And among the deep web, there is another 5% called dark web that's full of criminal activities. So when we are focusing on the 5% clean web, talking about metaverse-related online safety, what about the other 95%, especially the 5% dark web? How can we ensure online safety and proper measures are in place to ensure the participant didn't get into any kind of danger or issue. So I think that's one major issue we need to look at. And of course, another major issue is about privacy and data security. I give you one extreme example. Everyone knows Elon Musk is really keen about the neural links. Basically, put a computer chip in your brain to create truly immersive user interface. But we know at the start, he mainly focusing on people with strong medical conditions. Say if they are blind, he wants to use the computer chips to bring vision back to those people, which is brilliant. But his next step, according to some news, he wants to use kind of computer chips to really provide users with ultimate immersive experience, which can be hugely controversial. Because I don't know if any of you who are here today will feel comfortable to have computer chips in your brain to connect seamlessly on the metaverse to have this kind of immersion, a lot of people will feel uncomfortable. So I think there are a lot of issues, but also at the same time, it's quite interesting. Yeah, so the question of privacy is one that at Outlier we're quite interested in and passionate about. And I think that that's really where Web3 has a, a really good opportunity to kind of provide a, a bit of a trust layer. And I'm really keen to get back into that one in a little bit. But maybe before that, let's dive a little bit into the implications of a lot of these technologies for media. Let's talk a little bit about how generative AI can evolve the way that we produce content to meet the demands and preferences of modern audiences. So I know, for instance, a lot of the work that you do, Giovanni, at Fragnova involves or can potentially be used down the line to create more custom, more generative experiences where users, particularly gamers, can be a little bit more involved in the way that they experience content. Maybe that's a good place to start. Could you tell us a little bit about how you're building the infrastructure for Generation Z, Generation Alpha to have more interactive game experiences? <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, like recently, uh, I learned this Generation Alpha. Um, I guess I don't even know what generation am I. And I learned that I have two daughters that are Generation Alpha. So you see... <laughs> I'm building a technology because I'm a passionate father and like I'm building it with love. So, <laughs> so basically, again, I'll go back a little bit to, I'll start with the Web3 part of it, I suppose. So, so I, I believe that the foundation has to be decentralized. And what we are seeing right now, actually, with this AI 
boom or whatever you want to call it, this, this AI strong cycle, what I'm seeing is lots of silos being built. All of these companies and all of these startups creating new AI products are building small black boxes, ecosystems, lots of silos, lots of information. I was talking like today with my team that you get these prompts and they gather all of these data from, from your company, possibly. Like there's lots of private data being, and all of these random companies are, are, are gathering random data that potentially can explode in so many ways. So going back to the decentralized part that I mentioned, I think we should always, that, that's, I guess, the principle where Tree is building community and not being owned by the product, not being the product, but own what the product itself. So, so the, suite, the ownership model itself. And like being decentralized and not the silo also, you know, encourages lots of innovation, competition, and so on. So that's the reason why in our product with Frognova, the foundation is, is a blockchain itself, but which is a non-generic blockchain though. It's very much oriented towards gaming. It's oriented towards uh, being this, how can we define it? Decentralized ledger of assets where creators upload their creation share it, they share revenue. I'll give an example specific to since the topic we talk often about AI in this panel. One of the use cases that literally people on Pragnova could upload training data. Somebody else could train the model and, and they upload this finished model. Somebody else uses the model and in turn, all of these three faces can, the ownership of the final asset is always recognized between all these three faces and the distribution, the royalties are being distributed fairly, the rev share is distributed fairly to all of these three steps, which is, I think it was a quite a big topic in the beginning with, with stable diffusion. When stable diffusion came out, like or mid journey, like nobody knows what data they trained those pictures on. And there were lots of artists saying, oh yeah, you remember a few months ago, the, what was it? No AI, there were everybody like flagging this no AI left and right. So you see, basically this is one of the problems just right there being addressed. So this bottom up approach. Um, and like I said, the generation alpha is, I mean, what's the benchmark for generation alpha? I guess it's TikTok. It's this kind of very twitchy content that you have consumed too fast. Is there, is there anything as another benchmark? And so basically, if you measure against this, you have to build a product. And that's a bit what we're doing again, not to go back always to the product. But yeah, our game creation system cannot be like, a real unity, which literally is made for other generations. So what we envision and what we're building actually, and we already have lots of stuff that is coming out soon is, is literally a Google Docs for virtual experiences, something where people can work together, everything stored on chain. And again, like I mentioned before, coding is the key for, for creating virtual experiences and AI can help a lot with that. And I think it's pretty great at it. So. Yeah, bottom-up approach, decentralized ledger of assets, and a game creation system on top of it. That's my recipe, and I hope it works for my daughters, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of, you know, now that we're already talking about decentralization, we're talking about privacy, and going off of, you know, what Christina was just talking about before, maybe this might be a good opportunity to talk about the privacy implications of AI. We've talked a lot about a lot of companies operating in silo, a lot of companies having and owning massive amounts of data. Maybe a good way to kind of get into this topic is by asking Christina, what challenges do you see coming out as a result of a lot of the amalgamation, the amassment 
of technology as a result of technologies like or of information as a result of technologies like generative AI. Maybe if you want to touch on the concerns of institutions and governments, if at all, about a lot of these technologies. I think from a government's perspective, they're always talking about standardization. So the standardization can be applied to data because once you have large amount of data you use to train generative AI or generate digital twins, how can you ensure they are actually interoperable? So there has been a lot of different international alliances set up to try to address that, which I think is quite important. And another area I think we need to look at is the environment impact. Because everyone knows the amount of energy consumption to generate, like open AI or the chat GBT related like app is hugely, hugely like consuming in terms of carbon footprint. So are we really want to, you know, create a world full of very smart machines and destroy our planet at the same time? Is that in line with the 17 UN SDGs? And I think there hasn't been a proper global empirical analysis to looking at a proper objective analysis on the environment impact versus the simulated digital twin, how that's going to help to minimize and mitigate climate change. That needs to be done. And I think the third really important point I didn't mention previously is there has been a lot of debates and arguments and talking about who actually controls the IP when it is generated to generative AI, will that IP be belongs to the IP holder of whoever designs the generative AI, or it will be the manufacturer who take that to the market, or will that be the individual creator who are using that generative AI app? to create their masterpiece. There hasn't been very clear definition, so that also needs to be addressed. But I think there are also other interesting issues, but maybe those three are like the top concern of government and regulators at this moment. Right. And I guess keeping a lot of those concerns, a lot of those themes, a lot of those challenges in mind, a question for Giovanni and Jessica, I mean, you're already doing this, Giovanni, but if you were to start from scratch, if you were to become a startup founder right now and have an open canvas to build a new product in the landscape, what areas do you think you would focus on? And are there any things that you would maybe do differently? Any new areas that you think present great opportunities that haven't been tapped into? New areas, you know, uh, as a founder, I'm very much super laser focus on what I'm building. So what I can tell you though, that, and I think I mentioned already before, UGC is the key for the next market cycle. So I'll definitely stay UGC, but you know, like one of the things I would suggest to a startup founder right now, it really depends. If you're extremely passionate and you have a dream and even if it's complex, just follow it. If not, and you're looking to do something interesting in general, this is the moment. And there's lots of opportunities with, again, UGC, but also AI. And, and I think that the biggest issue, and I think it's still the biggest issue even for Web3, I'd say is user experience, move onboarding. Like I was saying, uh, we are seeing all of these, you know, with what we started and then, and then stable diffusion. I even remember Jamie, which I always follow on Twitter. He was at some point was asking, Oh, how do, how do I do this? How do I do that? With like, it's very hard to actually use all of these tools. And there's a, 
you got bombarded every day with new tweets. Hey, I made a new tool. It's amazing. And everybody else is following. Oh, it's super amazing. But how do you use it? So there's a very complicated onboarding problem and user experience problem. And it actually reflects even with, you know, those terrible wallets that get act and everything into Web3. So I would say UX, user experience. I mean, if you can win user experience with both of these fields, I think you're going to be very successful in general. So that would be my, my guess. And Jessica, if you were a, a creator or startup founder, where would, you, where would you start? What would you focus on? That's such a hard question. I think there's so much opportunity, actually. It's, I would probably put it on a, on a spectrum. One is a very easy, fairly straightforward, right? It doesn't always need to be complex, but finding the one thing that makes it easier to do the things that it already exists. Like, even if it's just, you know, consolidating all these different tools and making it just the user experience easy, but like a plug and play, super easy tool that everyone can use and that just does a trick, right? On the other side of that spectrum is the more complex scenario where I'm thinking through my marketing hat is starting of like, think about all of those customer experience chatbot scenarios that have been around for over a decade, but still no one has been able to actually figure out how to make them work. And like, you know, leveling that up even further, if you think about the implications for avatars or any virtual influencers, right? Like an AI powered branded opportunity to walk around somewhere, but actually working and functioning and feeling like I'm talking to a human, creating like something like that would be massively impactful. Very difficult. Clearly, we have not nailed that one yet, but that would be sort of one of those aspirational goals. So finding out, you know, if there's an easy way in and then doing that really, really well and, and or building something else that just sets us up and, and puts us into a different different level. Great. Yeah. I think maybe that's a really good place to, to kind of start to wind down, start to conclude. So I guess more broadly, what I can say about this panel is that we heard from Giovanni on kind of the builder landscape, the new technologies that are coming out. Jessica, a lot of your work is being able to see the people that are taking those technologies and how they're starting to use them. And Christina, a lot of your work has to do with how larger kind of more high level institutions, governments, international institutions are trying to regulate or at least play with and, and understand the impacts of that technology on society. I think that's really the crux of the conversation. And I think that I wanted to thank you all for providing, you know, really three sides of this triangle on such an important question. I think more broadly from all of us at Outlier, we wanted to thank all our panelists, you three, plus Timu Toke. And most importantly, we would like to thank and congratulate all of the teams. Congratulations for finishing, you know, your 12-week base camp. It's been really great to see you all grow and develop. You form the bedrock of all the work we do here as a founder-first organization. And I think that more broadly, events like this, we're hoping that they serve to inspire debate and give focus and energy on a lot of the future of the Web3 space. If you want to get more involved, we've got a few ways. If you're building Web3, we're about to kick off recruitment for the next cycle of programs. You're free to check out our website. And if you want to learn more about Outlier, also check out our website, outlierventures.io. Again, just wanted to end on a thankful note and very hopeful note. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to these Elevate highlights. We hope that you've learned something about AI in the future of the Web3 space. In Web3, we like to say that we're still early, but in many areas, the time is now. The question is, how do we distill knowledge and understanding and bring it to the next billion users? For more content, you can find the full recording and my written analysis on our website at outlieradventures.io slash atlas. 